those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben Pierce, and I am working here at the church quarter time while the church looks for a new associate pastor. So I am very happy and honored to be with you, and I'm going to be uh, talking to you this morning about this uh, value we have of measuring impact by lives we touch. And I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, I love to ride bikes. That's kind of my hobby. That's what I do uh, to burn off stress, to burn off a few calories. And the biggest goal I've ever attempted as a biker is this ride that's called the Tour of the California Alps, or the Death Ride. And it is 129 miles, 15,000 feet of climb. This is me trying to get up another one of those hills. And there's about 3,500 people who ride it every July. And every single person who rides it's got a little computer on their bike that gives you different information about how far you've ridden, how much you've climbed, your heart rate, all of this stuff. And even though everybody has the same bike computer on their bike, everybody's looking at different information depending on what their goals are for the ride. So the elite bikers, they're focused on time because they want to ride it in eight hours or nine hours and, and win or beat everybody who's in their age bracket. The people who are like me, who just want to live to see our next birthday, <laughs> we're looking at very different information. We're looking at our heart rate, because we've got to stretch that uh, investment of energy over the whole ride so we don't poop out. We're looking at distance. When do I get to stop doing this? And it all depends on what your goals are for the ride. It's kind of like all the gauges you have on the dashboard of your car. Uh, but what are the gauges that a church ought to have on its dashboard? And of those gauges, which ones should we pay most attention to? Some of the ones that pastors joke about, they call it the ABCs. Anybody know what the ABCs are? Attendance, buildings, and cash. We say, we joke about it because honestly, those are the quickest, easiest things to reach for and saying, are we making progress? And yet they're the three things Jesus seemed to pay no attention to. How much money did Jesus have? Pretty close to zero. Did he ever have a building? No. As a church, we've, we've said the gauge we want to pay very close attention to as we measure our impact by the lives we touch. We're going to dig into that today together. And let me just pray and ask the Lord to help us as we do that. Lord, we ask you that you would help us to understand why you seem to measure impact by the lives you touched and not by a lot of other things. And we ask you, Lord, to help us measure that impact the same way for our own lives and for our church. And in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So I'm going to look at the passage with you that our kids just acted out for us, but I'm going to take it in a little bit smaller chunk so that we can pull out some of the lessons from it. So a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, and so many gathered outside that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So again, as we say, Jesus never had a building. Sometimes he would preach in a synagogue or occasionally in the temple in Jerusalem, but most of the time he was either outside or using someone's home. And this particular day he was meeting in someone's home, and it may have been a larger home by the standards of that day, but it was still absolutely jam-packed, and you couldn't even gather 
get by the door or by the window and even see into the building. It was that packed. Verse 3. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above and above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. So these four friends bring a paralyzed man. This guy had no hope. He had no options. And yet they thought if we get him to Jesus, maybe, maybe. And they get to the building and their hopes are kind of dashed because they can't get into the building. They're kind of a wide load at this point. But they don't let that stop them. They climb up onto the roof of this home and they break a hole into the roof or separate whatever is covering for the roof and they lower the man down to Jesus on his mat and everybody sees this guy coming down and Jesus is absolutely thrilled. He says he's amazed by the faith of these four friends that they believe so strongly that they would do this and get their friend to Jesus' feet. Now, I'm going to do a reality check here. Let's imagine we were so crowded that nobody could get into this room, and all of a sudden in the middle of a service, you hear a skill saw up on the roof, and sawdust starts falling down, and they lower a a sick man down in front of Jesus. Let's say Jesus is preaching instead of me. What is your thought, first thought? Who's going to pay for the hole in the roof? That's right. I mean, Jesus' first thought was amazement that these people had so much faith. He didn't care about the roof. He didn't care that the owner of the house is not going to be too happy about this going on. He's amazed because he's measuring impact in lives touched. That's what he's doing. Verse 6, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming because Jesus had said, son, your sins are forgiven. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sons are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So, Jesus heals this man, and he forgives him his sins. That's what he does first. Probably a surprise to everybody in the room. I mean, the guy's got an obvious physical need, and Jesus says, I forgive you your sins. And the Pharisees or the, the scribes are talking, who, that's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins except God alone? And I can imagine Jesus, the Bible's funny sometimes. I can imagine Jesus say, think about what you just said or muttered. Nobody can forgive sins except God alone. And I just did it. Think on that one. But he wants to show him he has the authority to forgive sins. So he walks over to this man And he says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And this man does it. And everybody is amazed because they've never seen anything like that. This man goes home. This man who had no hope, who had no option, goes home with everything. 
He goes home forgiven. He goes home and he can move his body, maybe for the first time in his life. We don't know whether it was an accident or an illness when he was a child, but this man has everything when he goes home. And I want to make two points out of that as we're talking about measuring our impact by lives touched. And the first point I want to make is that sometimes you and I are the person on the mat. And sometimes the life that needs to be touched is ours. And the second point I want to make, sometimes you and I are the people holding the ropes, helping other people get to the feet of Jesus because things can happen there that can't happen anywhere else. So we're going to talk first, though, about sometimes you and I are the person on the mat. Sometimes that's our story. Uh, I went to the picnic that we had last week, and it was, it was a blast. How many of you were there? It was a lot of fun. I had great conversations with a lot of people. But the one that uh, sticks out to me the most is I was sitting and talking with a couple of ladies from Hope House who were there at the picnic. And I, after we were talking, I said, uh, how can I pray for you? And one of the ladies was honest enough to say, you know, I've oftentimes felt it was selfish for me to ever answer that question because I feel like God probably's got way more important things to do than to you know, he's got to worry about hunger in Africa and peace in Syria and all of this is it selfish for me to ask somebody to pray for me but she said I got, I've been thinking about that a while and I know God wants to bless my daughter and if I'm my, my life is untouched by him I can't help her and if that God wants to touch other people in the world through me, and if I'm messed up on the inside, I can't do that. So she said, I don't think it's a sin anymore to ask people to pray for me because I know God wants to do good through my life, and I can't do it unless sometimes, to use our terminology today, I'm that person on the mat who is brought to the feet of Jesus so that he can touch me and meet me. Kind of an analogy that makes sense to me is that in the Christian life and following Jesus, there's an inhale and there's an exhale. There's a, got to breathe in the love of Jesus. And then there's an exhale. I want to take it out to other people when I leave this place. I got to breathe it in. I, I'm, there's not enough good inside of me that I'm going to long-term do good for other people unless I'm breathing it in regularly. There's an inhale. There's an exhale then I can give it away. I can be the person on the mat. I can be the person holding the ropes. And I take it out to the world. I want you to think about if you ever fly on airplanes, which a lot of us do nowadays, what's the announcement that they always make before they let you take off? Put your mask on before you help anybody else. Because if you're not breathing in, you're not going to be able to help anybody else long term. And that seems to be the way it is in the Lord. I want to ask you a question just to reflect on for a minute. Because in order to follow Jesus well, you have to become a good student of yourself, of who, did, who he made when he made you. And I want you to think, when in your life have you been closest to God? When have you been closest to God? And what were you doing what were the things that made you close to God in that season? Were there certain people you were hanging out with? Were there certain habits you were engaged in? What was going on for you? You need to be a student of yourself in that way. 
Maybe you might say, you know what? If I really want to inhale deeply the love of God, I need to be in this place more often rather than occasionally. You may say, I need to read my Bible and pray more because when I did that, I felt close to God. You may say, I need to take a walk out in nature because that's when it happens for me. That needs to be more regular in my life. Or I need to talk to some friends. I'm carrying around all these heavy loads, and I, if I talk to somebody about it, maybe they wouldn't weigh me down so much. Or maybe I need to be in a 12-step program or counseling because when I am dealing with those things, then I'm not so weighed down and I can get into God's presence. But life changes at the feet of Jesus. Yours too. Mine too. And I need to be the person on the mat in order to be a person who can hold the ropes for anybody else. I was having lunch with a man in this church that I, that I like and love and respect a lot, and he was just talking about how the demands of his work, the things he wants to do as a husband and as a father, the things he wants to do here in the church, he's like, finding time for me to inhale is hard. And I said, yeah, me too. We just got to talk, but we've still got to inhale. We've got to get on that mat and let Jesus minister to us. We've got to think about our own lives and what, what are the habits I can engage in that help that to happen for me because I'm probably not going to hold the rope for anybody else very well unless I let Jesus meet me on the mat often. Now, other times, we're the, person, we're the people who are holding the ropes, who are lowering somebody else to the feet of Jesus. And that's part of how we measure our impact as a church. It's not just by how many butts are in these seats on a weekend. It's what do we do when we leave this place? Is our spouse any better off because we follow Jesus? Are our kids any better off? Are our neighbors any better off because we follow Jesus? Is there anybody who's poor in the earth or who's lonely or needy or addicted or in some way needy that they may not even believe what we believe, but they might say, if you asked them, I'm sure glad that she does because she holds the ropes for me. And that's a way that we measure our impact is, is anybody else's life better off when we leave this place? One of the bits of verbiage we wrap around it in that statement that we read this morning is this, you cannot contain our faith in a Sunday box. You can't contain it just in a Sunday box because it happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday because we're holding the ropes for other people. If you are misguided enough to ask somebody from Mississippi to preach, you're always going to hear something about country music because country music has a line or a title for every occasion. One of my favorites is that one that says, I got tears in my ears from lying on my back in my bed while I'm crying over you. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> But there's another one that caught, that's a little more appropriate to today, and it's called Except for Monday. And this woman meets this man who had dumped her, meets, her, meets him on a Sunday afternoon, and he's kind of, well, how are you doing? And, and she says, I'm doing great. And then it goes into her kind of subconscious thoughts, and she goes, except for Monday, which was never good anyway, Tuesday, because I get a little bit sideways, Wednesday, I feel better just for spite. Thursday, Friday, take too long. Before you know it, Saturday's gone. But it's Sunday now, so you know I'm doing fine. And unfortunately, that's the way we can describe our faith sometimes. It's Sunday now, so I'm doing fine. See my clothes? I'm all dressed up. But Jesus measures impact 
on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, is anybody else's life better off because we follow Jesus? And that's a question that we are trying to live with. Let me ask you this, hypothetically. These four friends who brought the paralytic to the feet of Jesus, let's, let's just imagine that every time Jesus preached a sermon, they were sitting on the front row and loving it. But they never went to get their friend to bring him to the feet of Jesus. How much would their faith have mattered to the paralytic? Probably not at all. I mean, it was great for them. But it was the fact that they went back, got a guy on a stretcher, and brought him to the feet of Jesus that made his faith, their faith, matter to him. And he was so glad that they had faith in Jesus because they did for him something he couldn't do for themselves. You may look at your life and say, you know what, I would like, I wish this were true of me. I wish, I want to hold the ropes for somebody else. But, you know, my life's too messed up. I don't know where I would start. Let me tell you this. Jesus wants to help you find the ropes for somebody. Jesus wants you to lie on the mat yourself, and he wants to help you find the ropes for some people that you can help. You know one of the people who is on the ropes for me? It's a woman named Carol Horn. Carol is 96 years old, and she lives in the Elms, and she prays for me every day. And she's prayed for me for years and years, as has her daughter, as has her granddaughter. But they kind of caught the virus from Carol. Carol could say, hey, I, no way I can grab a rope. This preacher says she's one of the most important rope holders in my life, Carol Horn. I also want to tell you that this aspect of trying to have our faith benefit others when we leave this place, it's a conspicuously true value of this church. I come in, I haven't been here forever, so I kind of come in with some fresh eyes. This is something you see when you get here. You know, if you were to just try to describe you guys, you'd say, this, this actually matters in this place in a, in a conspicuous way. They're, this is the church they're trying to be. Um. And I want to tell you a story about uh, how this plays out, kind of these two halves of lying on the mat and then holding a rope. So I got invited a couple weeks ago to go to a dinner on, about Romania. And it was hosted by a guy I had been in a small group with many years ago. And it brought together ten of the, of the brightest young Romanian budding leaders at a home over here in Belmont. Who, who are trying to bring about in that country that's so been distorted by corruption and all kinds of things, this, this revolution of grace and love and, and economic welfare for the people. But let me tell you about the guy who hosted it. I met him first 12 years ago, and he came into my office, and he said, my life is an absolute shambles. I've made money, but my marriage is a mess. My family is a mess. I don't know how to do... Every time I come to church for the past six months, I weep through the entire hour because I feel like God loves me for some reason and yet I'm a mess. And I gathered a group of guys, him included, and we began meeting together. And after a few months, this guy and, and his brothers in the group began saying, hey, give us some great deed of valor to go out and do for Jesus. And I said, brother, let's just let's be on the mat a little while. Let Jesus tend to you. Let him do what he needs to do in you. 
About four years later, his family began to come back together. Not long after that, he got invited as an afterthought to go to Romania with a friend of his. I'm going to fast forward now. He's been there 73 times. And he's gathering this group of people who may be the next big hope for that country. But it started by just getting on the mat. Started that way for Carol Horn, 96-year-old woman who prays for me. She, she knew what it was like to be on the mat with Jesus, and now she knows what it's like to grab a rope so that other people benefit because of her faith. And I don't know where you are in your life as to whether you, you might feel, you know what, I really need to get on the mat. That's kind of my takeaway. And here's what being on that mat looks like for me. Or you may say, you know what, I, I need to be grabbing a rope. Or you may say, I need to do all of the above. But I'm going to pray now that Jesus meets you right where you're at and applies this word to you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you didn't keep score by silly things of attendance, but buildings and cash. You kept score by lives changed, and you've called us to be that way as well, by having our own, own lives changed by you, by being people who grab the ropes and help other folks find healing at your feet. And Lord, apply this word to each of us where we need it, and Lord, as a group as a, as a people help us to live into this value more and more deeply and we pray it in Jesus name amen